What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 55 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go grab yourself some body armor. Combo Nation, we are out here. Speaking of Combo Nation, shouts to everyone hooping in your Combo Nation socks. I see you. Today's show, Ben Gulliver of the Washington Post joins in to talk about NBA playoffs. Kevin Durant, the Warriors, Ernie Grunfeld's departure from the Wizards, plus so much more. You could find Ben's work at WashingtonPost.com. You know you can follow me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, write on your Apple Podcast app. Shout out to the Spotify community as well. We see you. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Ben Gulliver of the Washington Post. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, let, let's chat. It's playoff time. It's the best time of the year. I, we do want to get the playoffs, but I want to start with you, man. Um, way back when uh, you started the draft Kevin Durant blog. Why that name and what was the reasoning for it? Well, it was a stroke of lightning moment for me. You know, I was just working a boring day job, office job, and uh, the Blazers won the number one pick. I, I'm from the Portland area originally. Uh, I went to college and moved back to Portland after college, and I was just kind of looking for a hobby or a project. The Blazers win the number one pick. I come home elated. I, you know, I'm, I'm jumping off my couch, and I think, hey, wait a minute. This is the kind of moment that can change a franchise, that can change a city. And I've been following you know, college basketball pretty carefully that year. Uh, obviously, it was the debate was Odin versus Kevin Durant. To me, I was just Kevin Durant all the way. I saw the hunger. Uh, the dedication to the game, the the raw scoring ability, obviously, the length. And he was just something new and different. And to me, uh, Portland needed a marketable uh, face to that franchise, somebody who could kind of, uh, you know, <clears throat> ultimately become the face of an organization that had been dealing with some really tough times with the fans and, you know, the quote-unquote jailblazer era. I thought Kevin represented everything they needed. So I devoted the next two months of my life, basically every single night, trying to make the case for him, trying to argue on, on his behalf and trying to convince them to not take Odin. Needless to say, it did not work. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was pilloried in the local media. I think it was like 90 to 10 in terms of people favoring Odin versus Durant. Um, and, you know, eventually I, I was kind of heartbroken, you know, because I invested so much time uh, into that project when they actually took Odin. But I also realized that, you know, now I'm actually writing about my passion. Now I'm getting involved in something that I really want to do, uh, which I didn't even realize uh, prior to that. And so I was able to kind of spin that forward into, uh, you know, blogging about the Blazers, you know, covering the Blazers sort of like a beat writer there for a few years and, you know, eventually use that as a, a step to, you know, become, you know, a, a full-time sports writer and, and, you know, kind of get rid of the office job. So it's kind of a weird way to, to get into the business. Uh, but for me, like I said, it was a, <clears throat> a lightning strike moment. I don't think it's weird because that's kind of how things are done now. People could, you know, start their own thing and you were doing it before a lot of people were. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was it was great. And I mean, the thing about Portland, 
I knew I was onto something because Blazer Mania is what they call it there, the fan base. It's very real. You know, so right. as soon as I put that blog up, it wasn't like I waited around in tumbleweeds for six months. It was like, oh, here's somebody who wants to argue for Kevin Durant. Well, here comes like 500 people in the comments all ready to scream about it. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I, I've kind of tapped into a, you know, a real passionate fan base, you know, people who want to debate and, and exchange ideas. And, so wait, and, were they, were, were they pro Kevin Durant or they wanted Odin? Well, it was great because I, you know, I got pockets of Kevin Durant fans. Like, so like the Texas fans, right. They were immediately all over the blog and this is before social media. So I'm hearing from people left and right. So I hear from the Texas people. I hear from the, the DMV people, you know, uh, in Maryland and, and Virginia saying, yeah, Kevin's the guy. They should take him over. Own. I started hearing from the Nike people who are like, yes, Kevin is the guy. You know, he's going to get <laughs> his own sneaker. Like, you know, you know, keep doing what you're doing. So it was hilarious to kind of see who uh, latched on to the concept. But Odin was easily the favorite. And, and locally, the idea that, you know, a big man wins championships was still very prevalent. You know, Nate McMillan, the coach at the time, came out there and said it. The front office at the time, Kevin Pritchard, was sort of like hinting at that as well as you know, they already had Brandon Roy. They already had LaMarcus Aldridge. If you put Odin in, he's sort of the backbone. And now you've got this big three. That's kind of how they viewed it. And I think that was still conventional wisdom in 2007. And as we know, the NBA has changed an awful lot in 10 years. That's not to say if Odin had stayed healthy, he wouldn't have been a star because I think he definitely would have, uh, you know, regardless of the era, he was just so overwhelming and powerful and, uh, you know, strong around the basket and everything else. Uh, but the NBA has gone perfectly towards Kevin Durant's direction in terms of the three pointers, the spread stuff, uh, you know, the up and down and, and the skill play, the isolation work. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, I, I think clearly Portland would have been better served if they had just taken Durant. Yeah. Speaking of things changing, you know, you work with the Washington Post. What's their demographic now and how much of actual of the Post content is actually consumed in print, if any at all? You know, that's a great question. I just started at the Post in December. I came over from Sports Illustrated where we're sort of dealing with the same thing because you've got the magazine product, you've got the web product. You know, the Post has a huge website and, uh, you know, they're owned by you know, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, right? So they care a lot about digital. And I think some of the most fun projects that I've actually worked on have been digital focused. Like we did this big one comparing LeBron James and Michael Jordan as scorers right around the time LeBron uh, passed Michael on the all-time scoring list. And, you know, it was an interactive chart and all these different graphs, these things that, you know, very few other media companies could even create because we had these very high level designers putting it together. So the digital focus is a big deal. Now, at the same time, I still get a kick out of seeing it in print. And, and the Post has this very cool app where you can actually see what the paper looks like laid out uh, just in, cool. di in digital form. So I can't actually get the paper delivered to my house, but I can look at it on my app and see how it looks. And, you know, to me, it's a it's a huge thrill. I'd say a lot, a lot of the people I hear from in terms of the readers, though, are actually reading stuff in the paper and they're, they're emailing in kind of comments and concerns. Of course, you're going to get responses on Twitter, too, just like everything else. But uh, there's absolutely a passionate reader base uh, that's looking at the paper and saying, hey, this is this idiot who wrote some article I disagree with. I'm going to go email him and tell him why he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. And speaking of Washington, speaking of D.C., uh, Rumfeld's out. What challenges will the next president face and like what are some candidates that you're hearing who are some candidates that you're hearing yeah so i mean ernie lasted a long time you know 16 years is no joke especially in that position and so i think there's two ways to look at it one uh they should have fired him years earlier <laughs> two if you're an aspiring gm 
you're glad they didn't fire him years earlier because that means you're going to get a really long leash, right? And I think that's the, the benefit of this Wizards job. You know, if you're trying to compare it to say like the Suns had a job opening, the Timberwolves had a job opening, uh, the Pelicans are going through a surge, and now the Lakers are probably going to have to go through a surge to replace Magic. I think what you can pitch if you're the Wizards is, look, we're stable. We're going to give you a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, leeway, uh, a, a lot of opportunity to execute your vision. And you can just go ahead and, and, and do what you want to do. And hopefully that will lead to a, you know, a turnaround. I mean, clearly it's going to be a long-term rebuilding effort because of John Wall's you know, health status and his contract. I mean, they're in a very tough spot. I mean, I think for them to get back where they want to be, which is in the playoffs consistently, it's going to take a couple years. And so I think that you know, aspiring candidates, because of that stability factor and because Ted Leonsis is, is a, a really wealthy man and he's shown that he supports his team, uh, you know, even in hockey, they won the Stanley Cup. I mean, you know, that requires a, a real level of commitment from ownership, right? Right. Um, I think you're going to be able to get candidates. I mean, one of the big names that popped up was Tim Connolly from Denver. And partly because he's from Baltimore, he's from that area, uh, you know, partly because he grew up as a Wizards fan, got his first job, you know, in the Bullets uh, front office as like an intern uh, and worked his way up there. So he's got ties to the organization and partly because he just went through a, a longer term rebuilding effort in Denver and uh, he knows what it takes to get a team back into the playoffs. And that's sort of what the Wizards are looking for. So he was one name who popped up uh, immediately. But I think, you know, another guy like Danny Ferry, uh, he's been interviewing with the Pelicans. He's also from the D.C. area. I think his name got mentioned. Uh, but ownership said they're going to take a very deliberate approach to this search they don't want to rush it. They want to make sure that they can get a guy who they can hold on to for 10 plus years, just like they did with Ernie. Yeah. I was, I was always very high on wall. Um, he, he's such an elite athlete and, and just his point guard feel for the game. Like he's like a true point guard, always loved his game. Obviously it, it hasn't seemed to be working out because of the injuries. I wanted to know from you, is there any exceptions or any rules that like could open up cap space for the Wizards if a max player gets injured? So they can get insurance back on his contract. So if he sits out all of next year, they can start to collect insurance. So he'll still count on their cap, but at least ownership will save some money. And usually if you save that money, then you can invest it somewhere else, right? So that could help them. Um, they, there's no amnesty clause. So the most recent uh, collective bargaining agreement did not include an amnesty clause. And that used to be a way you could wipe a, a bad contract off your books. You know, the Wizards previously did that with Andre Blatch. Uh, we've seen other teams do that in the past. It's actually a really effective mechanism for rebuilding. And I wish that they had included that because a lot of teams could use it. Uh, but they're kind of stuck. I mean, they could, the one thing they could do is stretch Wall's contract. So in other words, they can... Uh, reduce their cap hit by saying, okay, you've got, f- you know, four years left on your deal. There's a way to stretch it. So it goes out, I think to, to seven or eight years. Uh, and, and that way you're paying him a little bit less each year, but then that also means you're waiving him. So he has to be off your team completely. I'm not totally sure they're ready to do that. The options just are really not that pretty. I think their best option is to be patient, to let Bradley Beal know that it's his team. And then, you know, potentially in a year or two, try to pursue John Wall trade scenarios if he's able to kind of get back on the court and show that he's healthy. You, know, you were mentioning uh, being high on Wall. You know, I saw him play when he was a junior in high school at this random gym in, in uh, Hillsborough, Oregon, of all places. He's the fastest high school player I've ever seen before or since, uh, you know, getting up and down the court in a matter of seconds blowing past people doing uh you know some of those crazy 360 layups that he wound up kind of really patenting once he got into the nba 
I mean, this guy was a true, true talent. And to see the unfortunate nature of his injuries and then the re-injury here, which is going to set him back even further, is just really sad. I mean, it seems like uh, he's going to wind up being one of these cautionary tales where uh, he never quite gets where he should have been. As a number one pick, it, you know, he had a chance, it seemed like, maybe to, to be a Hall of Famer. And I think, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I think it still can happen. I mean, he, you know what it is? You're right. He had elite athleticism and even slowed down a bit. It even helped his game. Um, his feel for the game is just something that I think is understated. His feel has definitely improved. There's no yeah. question. I think the issue for him, it, you know, the shot. And, and as you're aging, as point guards get closer to 30, as they get past 30, it's okay. How do you adjust? How do you, you know, re-evolve your game? And like Chris Paul is a great example that the, the three point shot in the mid range, just knockdown mid range shot yeah. has been such a key to extending his career. And I'm not sure Wells got that. And we also shouldn't, you know, try to brush off this Achilles injury at all, man. That's a serious injury. And it sounds like he's had complications. So it's not just a typical clean, you know, Hey, we're going to be good in six months type of deal. I think it's going to be an extended rehab. And that's what got, that's what got me nervous. Now I never root for anyone to get injured. I never root for anyone's career to fall apart because of injury. Obviously, I just think it's best to be cautious, uh, you know, with our expectations for his ability to play going forward. Yeah. So Luca, Trey, Trey, Luca, um, they'll always be connected. I said before the draft that I thought Luca would be the best player out of this, this year's draft. And I think 10 years from now or 15 years from now, we'll look back. I think it'll be obvious that Luca, looking back, will be the best player. You know, everybody could say, Everybody could talk about what we see this season, but I think it's fun to like project what will happen. But let's stick to this season. Do you feel like it's a close rookie of the year race? Not really. I mean, it's gotten closer. Uh, Trey's made a great, you know, second half push. But to me, it was Luca all the way. You know, I'm really big on the consistency factor. Uh, I'm really big on the all around two way game stuff. I'm really big on availability, always being there for your team. And I just think that, uh, you know, Luca checks those boxes a little bit better than Trey did. It's very easy to get excited about both their offensive games. I think that the the under-discussed aspect of that debate is Trey's defense. Right. And it's a mess, man. Like, it's not his fault. He's small. It's going to happen. He's a rookie. It's going to probably get better as he gets a little bit older. But that's a glaring, glaring weakness. I think he was one of the worst defenders in the league this year. And I think, ultimately, it, there is some Steve Nash to him where, like, that's not going to matter. Once he hits his prime, he's going to be so good offensively. He's going to be such a great playmaker floor spacer, scorer for himself, and then just pure passer, that he's going to be able to overcome a lot of those weaknesses and still be a big-time plus player and all-star and everything else. Uh, but, you know, to me, for right now, who was a, a bigger impact, more valuable player in their rookie seasons? It was Luka, and it wasn't that close. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, they're both not the greatest defenders, but, you know, everybody always looks at on-the-ball defense. Off the ball, Trey is almost non-existent. But if he could find a situation where – they could kind of hide him. I think his offense will outweigh all that, like you said. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone wanted to compare him to Steph, right? And I think that's an unfair comparison because, you know, Steph's the best shooter of all time. But if, if Trey's going to take anything from Steph, it's this. You can improve as a defender if you really work at it year after year after year. You can add elements to your defensive game. Uh, and that's what Steph's done. And it's made him a much more valuable player. If you look at where he was defensively, in his first or second season to where he is now. I mean, Steph is just so much more aware. He's so much more active. Uh, he's so much more disciplined. Uh, I don't want to say that he's like this big physical presence, but 
when he first came to the league, much like Trey, he was defending smaller than his size, right? Like he wasn't, right. uh, and he's just getting overwhelmed by guys. And I think he's added some strength. He's used, how, he's learned how to use that strength better. Uh, and he's now able to, to stick with a, a wider variety of players. And he's also just locked in. I mean, to me, I think it helps being in a system where you're surrounded by good defenders so that you can, you know, really live up to your full potential. But that's what Steph has done. And it's taken a lot of work. And he gets zero credit for that defensive improvement. And I think for Trey, you know, that should be your five-year plan, right? Like, don't worry so much about just getting roasted your rookie year. But start thinking about what's it going to look like when you're 25, 26, 27. What do you need to do to be, you know, an average or an above average defender at that point of your career and start making those steps now? Yeah, it's all focused. I mean, I even said that about uh, I know this is this is an interesting segue and totally off topic, but I even felt that about Carmelo. If he would have just focused on defense these last few years, I think he would have stuck on an NBA, like focus on defense, focus on hitting the three and getting in shape where he can run up and down the court. I think Carmelo could still help the team, you know? No question. I mean, I, the phrase I always use with Carmelo is that he was a bystander to his own reality. Like he was kind of so caught up in his own myth and everything else that he never really did the honest self-assessment of what he needed to improve and, and where he needed to take strides. Right. You know, compare him to LeBron. Like they're pretty close when they came in the NBA. Right. There wasn't that much that separated them. LeBron added all these elements, refined what he was best at, improved what he was uh, you know, maybe average at, and he winds up becoming this all-time player. For Carmelo, he just kind of focused on what he did well and let the rest kind of go by the wayside. And that's why you know he doesn't have a job right now. And that's why he's you know sitting courtside watching uh, Dwayne Wade's final game uh, without having played for the last you know six months. Uh, you mentioned LeBron. Let's let's take it to the playoffs, man. In the East, the favorite was just who had LeBron on their team pretty much. You know, for the past what eight to ten years, maybe even more. Who do you like out of the East in this year's playoffs? You know, I like Milwaukee, um, but it's not a slam dunk. You know, their record and their point differential says, hey, these guys are a juggernaut. They should cruise. I don't think it's going to be that easy. But I do think Giannis is the heir to the throne in the Eastern Conference. There's no question about it. To me, he's my MVP this season. The consistency factor, the crazy stats, carrying his team, and also, importantly, making his teammates better. If you go up and down that roster, you can point at every single one of those guys and, and look at Giannis's impact on them, and it's you know plain as day. From Brooke Lopez to Eric Bledsoe to Chris Middleton, right down the list, all those guys have benefited by playing with Giannis. I think he's such a tough uh, individual matchup for anybody in the Eastern Conference. You know that includes everybody, including you know Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Joel Embiid gets thrown on him at times. Ben Simmons. I mean, all these guys are going to struggle to hang with his length, his physicality, uh, and everything else. I also think you know, he's only played 33 minutes a game this year, which is nuts for a that player is crazy. As, wow. as good as he is. Yeah. And if you go back and look at LeBron when he was Giannis's age, he was playing like 42, 43, 44 minutes a night in the playoffs. So there's some real upward mobility potential for Giannis's impact, right? Like, I understand they want to kind of protect him. You're not going to need to run him into the ground in your first-round matchup. But, hey, look, if it gets really to winning time in that second round against Boston, Giannis better be playing 45 minutes a night, Mike Budholzer. Don't you feel that Giannis has benefited around, the, like, the shooters that have been around him? Like, if you stick LeBron in that team, I think they can win a championship. Even if you stick Ben Simmons, I think Ben Simmons would look so much better, and I think Milwaukee would look pretty great. So can you speak to that? 
Yeah, uh, no question that it's been mutually beneficial. But Giannis is the is the straw that stirs the drink, right? I mean, he's the one that makes it go. He's a significantly better player than Ben Simmons. I think Milwaukee would take a step back. Uh, you know, they could probably win 48 games with Ben Simmons, but Giannis does it everywhere. You know, it's not just his own, you know, at the rim ability. Uh, he's improved as a passer, a playmaker, finding those shooters. He's more comfortable uh, as kind of, you know, the lead guy in an offense, you know, balancing his own offense uh, with his teammates offense. And then defensively, this guy is a monster. I mean, a complete monster. I think he should be in a defensive player of the year conversation. He can guard one through five if you need him to. Uh, hopefully you don't have him guarding too many point guards. I mean, that's really the value of Eric Bledsoe is you can kind of sick him on the Kyrie Irvings and the Kyle Lowry's of the world. Uh, but Giannis can switch on anybody. No problem. Uh, great recovery, you know, block shot guy from behind. He can, you know, clean the glass defensively. He allows you to go to small lineups if you want to go to small lineups. Uh, so, I mean, to me, it, it's uh, it's a case where Giannis, his all around value is right up there with the very best players in the league. I mean, you mentioned LeBron. Uh, I would put Kevin Durant in that conversation. I would put Steph Curry in that conversation. Uh, I think Giannis, you know, along with those guys, you know, if we're talking about best overall players, I don't think he can be lower than fourth right now. Yeah. You know, and speaking of that, I think KD is better than all the MVP candidates, in my opinion, you know, as, as a basketball player. Well, you're, you're speaking, uh, you're speaking my language. I think that okay. Kevin's going to, he's going to win his third straight title. I think he's going to win his third straight finals MVP trophy he's going to become if he does that he'll be the only guys along with michael jordan and Shaq to have accomplished that feat and i think in mid-june fast forward two months the conversation will be guess what kevin durant has passed lebron as the best player in basketball period full stop no ifs ands or buts no asterisk no hey if lebron's healthy none of that stuff i think that the story of this year's postseason my prediction uh is that it's going to sort of be the coronation of kevin durant who do you feel is like the biggest threat to the Warriors in the West? Houston. And it's a real bummer that they're playing in the second round. I think that we kind of front loaded the playoffs this year a little bit. Like we got some great matchups in the first round. OKC, Portland, uh, you know, you got uh, you know, Houston, Utah should be pretty interesting. Uh, even Denver, San Antonio is kind of intriguing because, you know, Jokic has never done it before and he's got to establish his playoff reputation. But I'm worried that the second round is going to have the best matchups. Like, Houston definitely can push Golden State more than any of the teams on the other side of that bracket, whether it's OKC, Denver, Portland, whoever else. And then I'm also worried that from the Eastern Conference, when you look at these teams, I'm not sure how many of them are really ready for primetime. I could see a scenario where maybe Golden State needs six games in that second round against Houston, but then they get to the Western Conference Finals, they win that one in five, and they get to the finals and they win that one in five, and we're all sitting around here saying, wait a minute, like you know, this didn't really build up to like the the big showdown that we were expecting. So I guess that's my concern. Uh, but that being said, I am still very excited to see you know James Harden versus the Rockets if we can get that matchup. And I'm also excited to see just how high the Warriors can take their game. I think it gets lost a little bit what they're doing. If they win the West, they'll be the first team to win the West for five straight years or ever. No team has won the Western Conference five times in a row. Uh, They'll be the first team since the 1960s Celtics to win either conference five years in a row. If they win the title, they'll be the first team since those 1960s Celtics to win four titles in five years. That hasn't been done by anybody. Jordan didn't do it. Magic didn't do it. Bird didn't do it. So they're flirting with like serious rare air here. 
And when I've been watching the last couple of weeks, man, they are clicking on all cylinders. Before they were resting guys for that last night of the season, they ran off a six-game winning streak where they were winning by an average of 20 points per night. Uh, you know, their defense after the All-Star break is up to top five. They have the most efficient offense in NBA history this season. So, I mean, it's kind of like people don't really, uh, you know, dive into this stuff too much because it's old news because they've been so good for so long. But I encourage people, you know, come up for air, you know, take that wide angle lens and say, man, look what Golden State is doing. These guys are really something special. So you have Warriors over the field? Absolutely. Yes. No, no question about it. They went 16 and five last year in the playoffs. I think they're going to go 16 and five or better in this year's playoffs. There's three all NBA slots for the bigs. I think we have four players in the mix. Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, Gobert, and Jokic. Um, where would you place those guys? I would have Jokic first because of the health factor and because of Denver's kind of spectacular season. I would have Embiid second because uh, the only thing holding him back is health. I think he was the most dominant center this year, but he just missed some time. And, you know, I have this old uh, scouting slogan that I always ascribe to, which is like the greatest ability is availability. And it's like, if you're not out there on the court, your absence is hurting your team. And I think, unfortunately, uh, that's been the case at times for, for Philly with, uh, with Embiid. And frankly, it, it kind of looms over their postseason too, now that he's apparently dealing with some knee issues. Uh, for the third team, I would go Gobert over Towns. I realize Towns has better box score stats, at least from a scoring standpoint. Uh, but I think Gobert's defensive excellence contributes to winning more than Towns' offensive excellence. And I think Gobert has been a rightful defensive player of the year award winner in the past. I think he has the highest impact defensively of any player uh, in the league this season. And, you know, Utah has a very strong record, very strong point differential, and so much of their success is built around him. So for me, uh, and he's also a, you know, a, a pretty good offensive player too, underrated offensive player. I actually think his offense is better than Towns' defense. So if I had to choose, I, I would take uh, Gobert for the third team. Yeah, he leads the league in field goals from what I from what I remember. I think he leads the league in field goal percentage. Well, it's nice when all you have to do is dunk, for sure. You know, <laughs> it's like you know him and Clint Capella, and uh, you know, there's been a few guys uh, in years past for the Warriors, like Javale McGee, right? It's like your your whole job is dunking and finishing lobs, and life's pretty good if that's your job. Great stuff, Ben. Where could, where can we find you? You know, check us out on the Open Floor Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that's uh, run by Sports Illustrated, and of course, like you mentioned, I, I write for the Washington Post. Uh, just check it out, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Great stuff. Ben, thanks for being here. You're always welcome back on Combo's Court. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, man. Good luck with everything and take care. Good luck to you as well. Talk to you soon, Ben. Combo Nation. That's a wrap, man. Episode 55 is in the books. Big shouts to Ben for joining in. We appreciate you. Let me know how you feel about this episode right on the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. Shout out to Spotify as well. We see you. Be on the lookout for episode 56. Combo out.